This is episode 174 of Alohomora for January 23rd, 2016. Welcome, listeners, to our live episode of Alohomora for the viewing of Deathly Hallows Part 1, which we just watched and now we're going to discuss today. I'm Michael Harley. I'm Kat Miller. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Allison Sigurd. I'm Kristen Keyes. And I'm Fraser Morris, and oh my god, we're all here! <laughs> <laughs> I know that was the longest <laughs> intro ever. <laughs> this wouldn't be chaotic at all. complete <laughs> <laughs> craziness. We're really sorry, guys. Also, really sorry for kind of crashing the beginning and all of you hearing that I've got my not got my normal mic today. Never mind. Um, Live show! <laughs> our fan guest today is all of you guys, um, and we're so glad that you're here. There are two ways that you can get a hold of us. First, by phone, you can give us a call on 1206-GO-ALBUS. That's 206-462-5287. The second way you can contact us, um, and this works best for you kind of international listeners, is on Skype. Um, if it, it's free, if you've got Skype, you can just ring us at Alohomora MN. Um, if you don't get fir- through the first time, keep trying. There's lots of people trying to reach us, so please do keep trying. Um, and of course, if you're in the chat from the movie watch earlier, I'm watching you. <laughs> That's not creepy at all, Rosie. <laughs> <laughs> a little creepy. And just before we start our live podcast, we just want to give a shout out to our Patreon. We are on Patreon. Thank you to all those who've already become sponsors. If you haven't yet, Make sure you get on there. For as little as $1, you can keep us talking for all these things. So maybe all of us can be together once again on another show. So the URL is going to be on our website at alohomora.mugnet.com. Just right there on the top. Just click on our Patreon button. Woo! Click on the button. Uh, well, as already said, uh, and it could do with repeating, today we're talking about the movie that hopefully all of you have just seen with us and are sticking around on Ustream to chat. It was uh, a great experience chatting with you all during the film, and I it had been a little while since I had seen this movie, so it was great. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's my favorite. I've always said that, and I just, I love it so much. It's so good. Yeah, I, I count part one and part two kind of just as one movie. And collectively, I think they're probably my favorite movie. Oh, but part two is not very good. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> part one is my Save favorite. Save that discussion till later. <laughs> but actually, so this is this is unprecedented for us because we're doing a movie discussion while we still have some book left. Um, that was a big... yeah. When we were getting ready for this, I was like wait a second, how do we do this episode? <laughs> because yeah. every time we've done a movie watch, there's been like past things to also discuss. So this is pretty new territory. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, but wait, we're, we're not done yet. This is this is going to be an interesting show, but good, but I this think. Is, this is great because all of the scenes in this entire movie were then ones we had just read, just like we normally, just like normal. So mm-hmm. it, it still kind of felt the same, even though now we have the added bonus of still half a book left. Well, it's like um, a third of a book, but yeah. Close yeah, enough. third of the book. <laughs> ah, the, the most action-packed third. Um, but anyway, uh, so we got some general thoughts uh, that we laid down for the movies. Did you guys notice anything different this time around? Hmm. Uh, still How for... dark it was? 
it, it is a very dark movie. <laughs> Although I tend to watch movies in the complete darkness anyway, so it's never really bothered me. Um, it just struck, it struck to me again that, once again, all the quiet moments of this movie are really yeah. my favorite moments um <clears throat> like the hug between the trio is you know at the beginning and um things like that just those little quiet moments are really what strikes me the most about this film sure besides the darkness which i know we were talking about a lot in the uh in the chat which it's it's true i mean i had to change my brightness settings on my tv and taking screen captures for the caption contest is just a nightmare because you have to edit them all the time make them lighter make them more colorful but besides that Honestly, these this movie has some of my favorite like adapted scenes. Um, yeah, like they're just so true, or even improvements upon the book. And the book is great in even in these scenes that I'm talking about. But seeing them on film and having, I mean, I know we'll get into this a little bit more later. But having them like a movie just devoted to the smaller parts. It doesn't end with a battle sequence, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's it's kind of a different movie, but I like it almost the most for that. It's all the little details, like the potpourri you noticed, Eric. I noticed the potpourri for the first time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. The, and the cards. Somebody in the chat pointed out the cards as well, the wedding cards that are behind them when yeah. Dumbledore's mm-hmm. will is being read. There's a lot that went into this film, even though it feels so different and is so different from every other Harry Potter film. Um, well, even things that like didn't show up on screen, like Dumbledore's will is all written out. Uh, Lily's letter we were talking about in the chat at one point mm. is was made, and they're all pretty much completely taken from the book and it's there's so much detail yeah and you can go and see that detail as well at the studio tour like the letter and the will they're actually on display and you can stand there and read them and see exactly what they do say and they do match up pretty closely to what's in the book Minolimo did such a great job at creating them they did it's mm-hmm. very cool that that will and I I didn't get this through in the chat because that was when my computer crashed but the will um, when you go see it is basically written on um, like see-through it looks like tracing paper to me and yeah. it's very mm-hmm. very delicate and very light so it's mm-hmm. definitely worth seeing if you go to the studio tour if you've attended one of our movie episodes before you know that we go into a little bit of history a little bit of detail behind the film uh which we're going to get on to now of course deathly hallows part one was released worldwide on november 19th of 2010 so i don't know how i feel about this this movie's over five years old Ooh. Ugh. Time flies, man. Yeah. Um, Wait, is November 19th when Fantastic Beasts is supposed to come out? Is it going to come uh, out exactly six years after? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe It's actually. Isn't it the 20th? If you look at at what weekend it is, it is the same weekend that uh, half the Harry Potter films came out. It's it's the same weekend of the year, except due to Friday being like a different date. Every year, it's it ranges between like the fifteenth and the twenty first or whatever. But it's like it's that it's that weekend is the weekend that Harry Potter has traditionally chosen for its movies. Um, but anyway, the worldwide premiere was a week earlier, eleventh uh, November, twenty ten, and the film. So this movie, I, I often forget this, but it was in fact filmed back to back with Deathly Hallows Part Two. Mm-hmm. like simultaneously yeah. for mm-hmm. it was over a year of of filming from uh the February 19th 2009 to June 12th 2010 um so that's a a long time uh but they did they filmed both movies at once and that that kind of towards what 
we were saying earlier, like it kind of makes it feel like it's one film. The actors are the same age. They're not a year older. Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of lends itself to uh, feeling like part one and part two are together. Which is unfortunately, I think, the reason why Dan didn't have long hair like Harry does in the book. Because mm-hmm. they did it Lord of the Rings style with, you know, no film shoots chronologically. Yeah. So they would shoot scenes for part two and then part one and then part two and part one. So poor mm-hmm. Dan and his hair. <laughs> is Harry's ha- is Harry's long hair a big plot point in book seven? No, I just say? wanted no. to see oh, it. No. I, just, I feel all. like that was like a criticism and I'm like, what? No, I just wanted to see long hair. That's all. Oh, yeah. Well, go to Gobble to Fire if you want to see it. <laughs> no, that was bad hair. That was just bad. Long hair. Um, and so a lot went into this film. We all remember, actually, it was brought up in the chat, which I was very impressed. Uh, the first promo image that came from this film was of the trio in London, um, out like near Piccadilly Circus uh, area. And I just remember getting that first photo and no, like being like, this is the end. Of course, at least one or two movie taglines said, this is the end. <laughs> right. <laughs> every, everything. And like, I still to this day have a poster of, obviously Hogwarts Burning, which is part two, is like the big one. But the movie, the part one poster of them running in the woods is just so, like, to me, that moves me a lot. Like, it's really iconic. Like, um, I just enjoy seeing them run for their lives. It's just kind of not a traditional <laughs> movie poster that's true mm-hmm. um so that's why i like it but you know we talked about how great this movie is i know we all kind of like it does anybody is this anybody's least favorite uh movie okay crickets <laughs> i right. think is the <laughs> <laughs> it's like i didn't want to get into we all love it i didn't want to speak for you all since you all are here um but actually uh, as far as awards go it was actually nominated uh, for two Academy Awards at the 83rd Academy Awards. Of course, we know Harry Potter did never did not ever win an Academy Award, uh, but Best Art Direction and Best Visual Effects did get a nomination. The list of awards that this film has won uh, is much easier to go through than the list of awards that it was nominated for, so I'm going to tell you what it won. Uh, we got a BAFTA Award, BAFTA Britannia, for artistic excellence in directing went to David Yates, who, by the way, returned for this two-part finale, which I thought was uh, a, a strong choice. I really like that David Yates kind of basically ended up directing the back half of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the MTV Movie Awards, we've already descended into... Major Key. <laughs> Major Key uh, to win that one. Tom Felton won Best Villain. Uh, Which he's in. He's is in. if he had a speaking line, I missed it. But yeah, but it's hey, it was very expressive. For about acting. five minutes, <laughs> I was very moved at the end when they were looking at each other. Um, he was the Percy of this film, right? Like he popped up, like did some face facial acting, and then left. That's yeah. that's it, pretty much. Yeah. Well, now he has an MTV Movie Award. Um, I'm sure he's very proud of that. <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> my best work. Um, visual. Uh, okay, so uh, moving on to just a couple more awards. Visual Effects Society Awards. Uh, the film won Outstanding Animated Character in a Live Action Feature Motion Picture for Dobby. Yay! <laughs> Which we were talking about how Dobby was like really cleaner, uh, younger looking in a way. Just I, I love the way he looks in this film, and I love. 
uh, Dobby for the first time is actually tolerable in a Harry Potter movie, I thought. Mm. Um, although it's only the second one. But I really liked it. So props to that team. Um, I won't say their names because I can't. Maureen, Laurie, Ben, and Matthew. Uh, also, the Empire Awards won Best Sci-Fi Slash Fantasy at the 2011 National Movie Awards Best Fantasy Film. And... Finally, at the 2011 Teen Choice Awards, <laughs> Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 dominated. We got uh, Choice Movie, Sci-Fi Fantasy, Choice Movie Actress for Emma Watson, Choice Movie Villain for Tom Felton, and Choice Movie Lip Lock won <laughs> for Dan Radcliffe huh. and Emma Watson. Yes. Yes. Yep. The As it should. Scene. I... It was very dark, but their skin was shiny. Their lips were luminous. Um, I like that you prefaced all those, Eric, with we got, like, we were all very involved in the process. We were so involved, guys. We were there. This happened while we were all there. Well, at least those awards, the Teen Choice ones or whatever, were voted on by fans, right? Yeah. Technically. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Or People's point, Choice, get, whatever and, they were. And that was the ones that we won the most of, so... Um, Which makes sense. I, I I think that I remember that year being the year that Twilight was nominated a lot, ugh. and the internet was just mm, like, yeah. you can't lose to Twilight. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Was it like that. the third Twilight movie? Watching that, that, the Teen Choice Awards that year and watching kind of Tom getting his award things. And he was really shocked, I think, that he got it because he was expecting Twilight to win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he didn't do anything in that film. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, it's it's an honor in some circles to even be nominated. The film was nominated for Academy Awards, BAFTA Awards, Saturn Awards, Hugo Awards. David Yates and Steve Cloves uh, scooped up a nomination for that and uh, a number of other awards. But it's nice to see still that, I mean, in addition to how much we all like the film, it did get some acclaim and critical attention uh, at the time it came out, which is good because... It's nice that not everybody just sees the two-part split as like a money grab. You know, I think it actually helped the quality of this film. <laughs> Although it definitely started a really nasty trend, didn't it? Yeah. 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 We can get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wasn't there a big thing about 3D at this moment as well? Like when the film oh, was yeah. the, the mm-hmm. major launch of 3D and they were like, will they get it in 3D? Will they not? And they were going to and then like... I think it was like two weeks before or something. They decided to just they scrapped it. Not yeah, part yeah. One in 3D. Yep. Well, was it that it couldn't be ready? It couldn't possibly be ready on time. Or mm-hmm. well, it like it could have been ready, but it would have been really bad. And I was actually yeah. shocked because <laughs> Warner Brothers admitted that, and that's not something that movie studios are very happy to say, um, because of course the point of putting out really the point of putting out a 3d movie is because the the ticket sales are inflated for it um you're gonna get twice the profits you would get off of a 3d ticket um so that's usually the reason movie studios would do it and it was very classy of warner's warner brothers like you will not see many studios do this very classy of warner brothers to admit wow we tried this in 3d it looks awful we're not gonna do it because we want to give you a good movie um because what's nice to me about Hallows Part 1 is it does not have those like dinky corny 3D moments like look at the thing in your face and Part 2 has so (laughs) many of those Um, it suffers I think a lot with the 3D moments that Part 1 does not but thankfully they did release it in 3D for the DVD so for home video anyone who wanted to watch it Mm -hmm. they could is all of it in 3D um 
as far as I know, yeah. Okay, because I think mm-hmm. was it they were experimenting with three D in the Potter films as far back as like movie five, weren't they? Yeah, like, Order yeah, they Order were. was only three D for a few minutes at the end. Yeah, and yeah, books, yeah. I mean, movie six. Um, you could the first fifteen minutes was three D. <laughs> right. So weird, but they yeah, I really spent the money and went and did it. it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But uh, a little bit more uh, history right here, because I did not know this before until I started researching for this episode. But um, initially, director David Yates, uh, actually, I'll restate that, a director or producer, David Heyman, initially responded negatively to the idea of a split. He didn't really want to do it. But one of the producers, Lionel Wigram, uh, asked him, but how actually are we going to do this? And Heyman took a little bit closer look at it and said, you know, I guess he agreed to the split. But, like, knowing that the production team, again, this was more of a creative choice to do the split. And I think it really paid off. I really strongly do. Like, the the moments where this film works best, the silent moments, the character moments, uh, could not have existed in a movie that was hurtling towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree that with that, yeah. the series has. So it's... Shocking to think what would have been cut, like the casualties of not doing Oof. a double picture. Yeah, because there are already spots that are running, that are rushing. And, mm-hmm. you know, we get to the ministry and we're gone. And if, yeah, if this were one movie, wow. Yeah, with also Gringotts, also Hogwarts, also yeah. Dumbledore, also the death thing. It would have been four so. hours long, so. Well, yeah, and so they such... did that anyway, but they yeah. were able to <laughs> right. buy themselves some time on the post-production end. There's such different tones, too. Like, even in the book, you you realize this is kind of the, the point where things kind of shift a little bit. Like, Harry's perspective starts shifting, and so the tone of the book starts shifting a little bit. So I think it was a good idea to split, to kind of separate those ideas and give them their due. All right, guys. Well, <clears throat> if you guys have any thoughts on the film or anything, you know, questions or anything you want to bring up, definitely give us a call. You can Skype us at MN, or you can call us at 206-462-5287 anytime you want now, as Rosie mentioned. Um, if you don't get through the first time, keep trying because there are a lot of people trying to get through at the moment. So, so with that, I guess we'll go into the main movie discussion, huh? Yeah, Okay. time. Okay, let's do it. All right. So really, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that was discussed in the chat. And listeners, I apologize in advance. I'll be up front. I, yesterday was my last day of work, and then I was put on movie discussion. I was like, wee, I don't care. So this is just kind of all <laughs> like my thoughts just as I was watching you guys talk, as well as kind of a few things that I already knew about the film. So I'm, I'm just in like free fall mode right now. But um, one of the things that, before we even get into the main discussion, one of the things that was um, kind of on my mind, because we even talked about it a little bit in the discussion, were actually how the movie was promoted and the trailers, um, because there were a lot of, um, there was a lot of pre-release hype for Deathly Hallows Part 1. And it was very interesting, too, because there was a kind of Part 1, there was initially a a promotion of Part 1 and 2 all together, um, and then they started splitting them. And one of the things that a lot of people said was fun, kind of funny in the trailers that was often noticed was Hermione's blood was photoshopped out of her, off her hands. Um, that was kind of like a big talking point. Everybody was wondering why that happened in the initial trailers. Um, I guess they were trying to kind of be, they were a little unsure of how to market it. Now, I, I can't remember, is this, this one is rated PG-13, right? I believe so. 
Yes. Ooh, I'm going to double check that. Is it, and, and this is the first one that's rated PG-13 in the series. I no. thought Goblet right? was. Yeah, I thought Goblet of Fire was I think Goblet, Did Goblet yeah. make PG-13 too? Okay, so there's yeah. obviously a bit of marketing confusion because at this point they're still trying <laughs> to market it to the kids, so no blood, but there <clears throat> is blood. So kind of cutting their audience down, but they knew people would still go see it. Um, and then... While Eric is looking that up, sorry to interrupt you, Michael. Oh, yeah, uh, no, we do have a caller. Oh, great. Uh, Megan, I believe, yes? Yeah, hi. Hello, thanks for calling. Hi, thanks. Um, I'm Crimson Phoenix One on the chat, and uh, I love y'all's show. I just found it like two weeks ago, honestly, and I've been trying to catch up ever since. Oh, um, oh. I'm on Half-Blood so. Prince right now. Wow, wow. you're doing good. <laughs> you're doing just fine. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> uh, well, I had a question that I asked a little bit earlier about, you know, how Dobby won the award for, you know, best animated uh, mm-hmm. thing in the movie or whatever. Um, I was just wondering what y'all think Dobby's acceptance should be for that award. Oh. <laughs> Master has given Dobby an award. say he would thank Harry Potter. <laughs> Dobby is yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, he would definitely would thank Harry Potter. You're right on <laughs> yeah. Oh, hi, everybody. I'm seeing everybody in the chat right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> we have such nice listeners. <laughs> I, I will say, uh, Creature was also nominated, so I don't know if there was any tension uh, between, <laughs> those, between those two fictional characters uh, so Dobby's, after Dobby won. Dobby's giving his speech, and Creature runs up with his frying pan and starts... <laughs> uh, I'm going to let you Cre- finish, but... <laughs> <laughs> Creature deserved this award. <laughs> And okay, the stats lover six 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 one has just said he wouldn't. He is dead. That's <laughs> oh, man, no. oh come on! <laughs> who t- who brings a knife to a movie viewing party? <laughs> come on! But before we get to that, because that's more at the tail end of the movie, one of the things that kind of is frequently talked about and was said a lot in the chat today um, is that Deathly Hallows Part One. Um, mm. many say more than any of the films in the series is the best adapted of the series. Do you guys agree? And why do you think that is? 4,000% yes. I totally yeah. agree. And I, it, it's because they had time. That's yeah. It is the first movie with real breathing room yeah. and you feel that. It still manages not to be boring or slow somehow. I think it's the right balance of music and things going on. You know, you do get, I think every time it's about to get slow, you get another vision of what Voldemort is doing or another vision of what's happening elsewhere. So they really balance that very well. But yeah, I mean, looking at the scenes, like if you just count the different scenes, the seven potters, the ministry, uh, all of it, you can just look at it and be like, that is so well done. That is so well adapted. It feels or looks or uh, happens just the way I imagined it. And that, I'd, I'd say per capita, like for each one, if you were to just add them all up, you get the most scenes where you can say that about uh, a Harry Potter adaptation. I agree. It's it's a perfect mix. It's a perfect mix of those quiet moments and the action. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of camping, which, I mean, we determined that there wasn't a whole lot in the books, really, anyway. But, um, but even the camping's not boring. I mean... It's not boring camping. Things are happening. Happening. They have discussions and conversations about what they're doing and what they're going to do. And so it, it moves mm-hmm. itself along, I feel like. Exactly. 
I see Thestral says um, that it's lacking some of the Dumbledore story, which I think is very true. Like, we get so yeah. much detail about Dumbledore and all of his backstory and his family and all of that kind of thing, which I love. You know, Ariana is one of my favorite um, kind of subplot lines within the, within the novels Thank as a whole. Um, and to be kind of completely lacking that is really something that I miss from the films, but obviously it's not part of Harry's main storyline, so I can see why they would cut it. And it does make sense making them an action film, that kind of thing. Right. Um, but I miss them. We should ask our caller, Hannah, what, what do you think of the adaptation? Hello. Hello. Um, well, um, I personally didn't like it as much because I feel like you couldn't really understand the movie without reading the books. Mm-hmm. Like a yeah. Lot- because, like, with the whole mirror shard, that doesn't appear <laughs> anywhere. Um, <laughs> oh, we suddenly have that? What? What? Yeah, it's definitely hard for us as book readers to separate seeing the movie without reading the book. Done that mirror shard thing. It's like, that's... It, uh, and yeah. then with the dough, like, how did Snape find them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How? The lack of the portrait is an issue. <laughs> I think that's definitely true, um, but I think that's kind of a sign that the producers were really intent on giving like book readers the movie we wanted as much as they could, um, because when like when other book to film adaptations um, are starting out, they try to do both. They're trying really hard to appeal to readers and new viewers, or else like the movie just won't do well. And so for doing it this way to really focus on the readers as much as possible, I think they ha- face that trade off a little bit. Um, so we appreciate it a lot more, but so yeah, they broke their own continuity almost to because D- David Yates was probably the one who made the decision or was uh, certainly because he directed the fifth film where the mirror shard, for instance, could have been explained and wasn't. Yeah, um, kind of went back on that and had it appear in this the seventh movie, uh, even though it had been ignored in previous iterations. Oh, we got another oh. caller. We do. Hello. Hi. This is uh, Flooper Tunes on the chat. Oh, hi, Flooper Tunes. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about Bill just showing up in this last um, <laughs> film out of nowhere. I mean, I'm glad to have him there. Um, uh, I don't know. I just, I really wanted that ponytail with the fang earring and looking <laughs> as badass as Gabier gets to look. Yeah. Like, I feel like everybody has this huge crush on Scavier, and that's how I wanted Bill to be. But, you know, Ginger. <laughs> okay. Bill is taken. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's... Well, yeah, that's... that's- that's true. Bill's a, <laughs> Bill's a good thing to bring up because actually let, yeah, let's talk about some of the new cast that got brought in. And Bill, you know, what's what was interesting about him, of course, uh, Bill is, um, that's Donald Gleason, um, son of Brendan Gleason, from, who is Mad-Eye Moody. So they got to work together. They actually got to be in the same scenes together. That doesn't often happen for Potter actors who are siblings in real life um, and uh, are related in real life. And... Um, uh, what did you guys think of Bill? Because I've always thought kind of like Fooper said that Bill kind of gets the short end of the stick in his introduction. I mean, yeah. he does. He It's it's too bad that he's not in more of the other movies, but I've always really liked Domhnall, so I'm, I'm okay with it in the end. The chat is all screaming about the fact that there's no Charlie either. I would have loved to see Charlie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Brothers just completely get wiped from the films pretty much the only reason why bill is there is because they had to have the wedding scene at the beginning right yeah and and the refuge uh at the show cottage in the next one yeah Yeah. 
No, I, I really like him. I'm so glad the actor has done so much more since. Uh, that's been in a, in the public eye. You know, About Time is amazing. Oh, I love I About Time. That's a great movie. Seven, Ex Machina. I mean, I so I love seeing that this isn't that guy's only work. Um, but no, he shows up and does, I think, uh, a very adequate job uh, with what they give him. I, I think he makes the material better. Um, but it, it's a little jarring, I, I, I'm sure, watching the movies just going, wait, who's this? Um, because there wasn't that time spent on the intro. Like we've already talked about with, like, in the books, you know who that is. And in the movie, it's just, oh, Brother Bill. Yeah, it's a little sad that actually the ride at Diagon Alley, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, actually gives him more lines and more to do. That's, That's what I was about to say. Yeah, he's very <laughs> substantial. Yeah, it gives you more to do than yeah. this movie. Yeah, you see him more on the ride. You do. He's like full of personality. It is a really great too. scene on the ride, though. It is. It's a great scene on the ride. I love seeing him there. Yeah, yeah. me too. <laughs> you must. Well, and Donald Gleason wasn't the only one added to the cast, so Reese Ephens. Um, I did look it up. That is how you pronounce it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> He's my favorite. Bizarrely He's unpronounceable so name joining as an also bizarrely unpronounceable character. Zenophilius <laughs> Lovegood. <laughs> what did we think of him? Amazing. He's Great. he's amazing. Perfect. He has the perfect voice. He really does. For mm-hmm. like, and it's for it's people like... who don't know, if you've seen Notting Hill, he is Spike in Notting Hill. So basically, like a young Xenophilius, really. I've only ever seen him acting crazy in films because the other film that he's in that I've seen him in is um, uh, Enduring Love, um, which is a really creepy film about like stalkers and stuff. Um, oh boy! Completely crazy in that as well. Very different crazy, but uh. never seems to play same characters. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, it's just like I mean, any actor who wasn't he—I just remember reading in interviews that he was really excited to be a part of it. Um, he was excited to get the call. He he may have been the one who's like, I'm an Irish actor. I'm like the only Irish actor who isn't already in these films. That might <laughs> yeah, have, him that might have Freeman, been right? him. Yeah, him and Martin Freeman. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> right. But uh, but just like showing up and being like, okay, you're playing a nut job. But he did it so well. <laughs> yeah, he did. He was a good counterpart for um, Ivana slash Luna. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like you totally believe that relationship between them oh in, yeah in like, in like the 30 seconds that that exists as a thing the in dancing the yeah it's, it's just... brilliant do we have yeah. another caller so, on the line we do actually yes hello caller hi hi uh, hi this is uh socks are important from the chat and from socks the are department. important they are yes they are. <laughs> you have a question for us comment yes i do um i when you guys first saw the film do you remember noticing the very dramatic hair that falls on hermione in the torture scene uh, yeah because you couldn't not yeah it lasts for like an hour that <laughs> no yeah. you know what the very 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 first time i saw it i saw it at the, the um obviously midnight or whatever and i don't remember that scene at all <laughs> and i don't know if it's because i was so hyped up if i was like talking to my friend next to me or something but then i saw it the next time and i was like how did i miss that i have no idea how i missed it the first time but magic I did. I, <laughs> you do get the point of the very dramatic hair though right we all know why it's there. yeah yes yes, yes. Yeah. because it's uh, you must notice this detail because it will be important next because yeah. because it's there because millicent bolstrode m- m- must have a cat right must have a cat i i for some reason, I remember watching it in the theaters and really noticing it, but for some reason when I watch it at home on the DVD, 
I don't see it as clearly as I did in theaters. Maybe it's just the size of the screen, but for some reason it's just like, it's like glowing at you, it felt like, at the theater, but on my laptop or on a TV, it's just like, oh, oh, there's something on Hermione. <laughs> yeah, probably just because it's not like a 20-foot hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I know we were we were talking about that during the, the chat, but that scene, they filmed so much more. You know, like mm-hmm. what we're getting is the doled down version, like the PG-13 and not any worse version of that sequence. And I think I remember David Yates, it was, or somebody saying that basically like the whole crew on set was unnerved, that yeah. um, Helena Bonham Carter and Emma Watson just went all in both feet uh, for that and came up with, like it wasn't scripted. You know, right. like the apparently carving mud blood was maybe not scripted. Uh, that was something that they worked out. They made it work, but I just that's one of the big mysteries I think. Besides outtakes, which I'd love to see on a DVD or <sighs> Blu-ray extra, when we um, for the whole Please. series, come on, just release them. Um, but yeah, the the mud blood. Um, <laughs> Loomis Shadow in the chat said Hermione cries only single manly tears. <laughs> <laughs> that's right well, she's awesome well we well we sit around and wait for those outtakes we have another caller stephanie mm. hello hi hello. hey um the stephanie your roof is on fire yo roof is on fire i hope everybody participated in her drinking game with tea or butterbeer <laughs> whatever you had i think we added rules to it i spent most of the watch adding more we totally added rules. I'll make sure to add those in for next time, too. Okay, Perfect. okay. Every time Scabior turns you on unexpectedly. Oh, my yes, God. That's the new one. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. Um, so my question is, um, one of my favorite scenes that they missed in this movie was the bribe scene. Um, and I was wondering if they added the bribe in, the one where Lupin comes in and talks to them, do you think that it would have added anything else to the movie and continually helped it to the second movie? Well, it would give us more feelings when Lupin dies in the movie. Yeah, I think, yeah. The, <laughs> and Teddy. The bribe scene, I think, like, the, I'm sure the listeners noticed this during during the chat. Um, talking about characters who get the really short shaft, boy, Lupin and Tonks really get it <laughs> in this movie. Um, they are kind of just, they are very much relegated to the sidelines. They show up, they do their thing, and they leave. Um and they're that that's pretty much like having them there is supposed to be enough for when they die that you're like oh bummer um but i i think it would have been nice to have the bribe as far as because that's the bribe is almost kind of like all the the part of the reason a, a part one exists it's more of that kind of character building um i can see why it was cut unfortunately but it would have been nice to have i think but if they're gonna cut that bit, then they need to cut the whole bit, like the very awkward Tonks line in the Seven Potters. Yeah, that was <laughs> awful. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. horrible. That scene is just like we know that book readers are thinking about this. This is the quickest way we can give you a heads up, yeah. a nod to it, but no, no time for anything else. <laughs> See, you know how you all were talking about how Dobby's not emotional for you because you're just not connected to him, and like I'm connected to him. Tonks and Lupin die, and I'm like. Okay, like book Tonks and Lupin, I'm connected to movie Tonks and Lupin, I'm not. No, I'm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm the same it's way. the same yeah. thing. I have that reaction. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think, um, I think 
Sonks and Lupin suffer for that greatly. And actually, um, speaking since we mentioned earlier deleted scenes, and that's more part two, but there are some great scenes from part two that were deleted of Lupin and Tonks that kind of make up for, if they had been left in, that might have properly given them a good send-off. Um, are they yeah. available on the Blu-ray? I think they are on the Blu-ray, actually, the one where Tonks and Lupin or meet up right before they die. Um, and they have oh huh. yeah yeah that one's yeah. on the dvd too that's like a big deleted scene <laughs> oh it's, it's so cute. sad it's a very nice scene it's so sad so and <laughs> he was mentioned a few times already um as eric said you may have gotten unexpectedly turned on by him <laughs> nick moran <laughs> was added to the cast as, i know i was as scabior <laughs> um interestingly I don't know if you guys... I This is how I always kind of thought of it as, but Scabier ends up kind of being the replacement for Greyback. Greyback's still there, yeah. but Scabier <laughs> takes on his role instead. Um, He's more palatable. Which is good. And by that, I yeah, mean Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently there are a lot of you who like that glam rocker look, because that's what they went No, for. no, no. I like Nick Moran. I don't necessarily like Scabier. Yeah, Nick Moran is a it. handsome fellow. Well, Nick Moran is nothing like Scabier. He's so I know. Nice. That's my point. He's gorgeous both as himself and as his character. It's very unusual. Yeah. He's got sort of a Jack Sparrow thing going. But but actually, that yeah. comparison, I'm not sure who it hurts more. Um, but, like, I just, I like Scabier. I like that they added these snatchers in like this well they gave him they basically the embodiment of the entire concept of snatchers yeah. is his uh to play with as a role and that's really cool so i i like him in both parts of deathly that's, hallows for that that's reason. true because the the snatchers really are kind of they just kind of show up and do their thing in the book and in the movies they really are given enough place that you don't really question them um they seem they yeah. fit with the world pretty well in the movies so well, and it's important to drive home the concept that Harry is actively being hunted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's really hard to convey in this film. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the film still a little bit struggles with that. Absolutely. And at least they have a character who can finally carry a wand, since Greyback technically isn't supposed to have one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Don't yeah. tell him that to his face. <laughs> I, won't, I, I won't. Hasn't uh, Hasn't Nick Moran talked about how he wanted those boots, but as soon as they started running, he was like, "This was a bad idea," <laughs> because they're just like those huge, like I think he did chunky boots like that, that <laughs> are impossible to run in. And also worth mentioning, Nick Moran as Scabier has a pretty substantial deleted scene and the part where they capture the trio. Um, I th- I'm assuming that was deleted because, oh, and I don't use the word lightly, oh. it's very much, it, it borders on a rape scene, like, as it, yeah. as he talks to Hermione. Um, I think it was oh, kind of pushing the PG-13 rating with the content. Um, well, just like the book, right? Because the book, we talked yeah. about this a little bit, like, Greyback is very yeah. intense Aggressive. in the novel. So. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have another caller on the line. Hello, caller. Hi, excuse me. Um, this is Jordan, Lady Temptress. Hello. Hey, Hi. Jordan. Enjoyed your chat today. <laughs> um, I have a question about regarding deleted scenes. Mm-hmm. Do you think if they had included the uh, scene with the Dursleys, it really would have like made that storyline like actually end? Yes, hundred percent. Yes, I love uh, that deleted ooh. scene. That deleted scene is still not everything i wanted out of the dursleys okay so for before we talk about it let's tell the listeners what that is if they haven't seen it because a few people haven't first of all there's a there's a section of that deleted scene where dudley gets his proper 
kind of goodbye. It's it's actually played for laughs yeah. a little more than it is in the book. Um, and then there's actually an additional scene that's not from the book where Harry goes into the empty living room and has a conversation with Petunia where she, he kind of is hit with the reality that she was Lily's sister and that she had an emotional tie to her sister. Um, yeah. It's, Wait a minute. I'm pretty sure I've only seen one of those two scenes. Oh, okay. really? <laughs> really? Yeah, that I don't know how. That's weird. I don't think I've seen the Petunia one. I think I've only seen the other. Oh, one. yeah. The Petunia See, one the is expanded one. from that one line where it's like she looked like she was going to say something, but then didn't and left. That's yeah. where they got that one little scene from. Uh, yeah, they basically okay. fan wrote what they thought Petunia would have said. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and you know what's in? It's not like they have J.K. Rowling on speed dial. I can just ask. Well, her. What's it? okay, so we've got <laughs> the um, the dancing scene in the chat. Said the deleted scene with Petunia gives you sympathy for her that she doesn't deserve, in my opinion. Um, huh. And what's interesting to me with that scene was that I actually think that scene really connects well with the memories in part two. Because um, you yeah. kind of just for- you forget that relationship, I think, in the movies because it's not touched on very much at all. Um, so that you yeah. have had that. But I will say personally that I think, and we can talk about, I'd, look, I'd love to talk about the opening scene. Um, the, you know, of course, after we get Scrimgeour's little speech, and we'll talk about Scrimgeour too, but after we get his speech we see the trio kind of in their current states before the before things occur and um i actually as much as i love those deleted scenes and it would have been nice to see that closure for the dursleys i think the scene the way it's cut is way more rewarding yeah i agree yeah. the the silence yeah. cuz there's no words except really um hermione's parents calling her name yeah and um, even even the music that's one of my favorite tracks on this score because it starts even if you just listen to it normally for like a full 30 seconds or something you can't hear it even though it's going it's so soft and then it just builds and builds and builds until you get to that huge just oh it's beautiful it's one of the most beautiful tracks on that on that score the whole score in general let's be real oh yeah 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 no this is probably my favorite complete score is these is both deathly hallows they're so oh the the decoy detonators in the ministry is like my top track i think <laughs> yeah That's so great. alexandra desplat has taken over for desplat um has taken over for um for for the series um so he's 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 newer and um interestingly now alex uh, he's kind of all over the place bless him he was the right choice yes oh he's phenomenal uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah he's i so i love john williams scores but john williams scores are so much more present like somewhere someone was talking about once i read or looked up something he his scores are like a character in and of themselves in all of the movies he does but desplats are so much more subtle that like sometimes you hardly notice they're even there but in a good way, like they just build your emotion so much. Whereas I feel like the ones from um, Goblet of Fire through Half Blood Prince are a little forgettable. Like I forget the music in those. I, I don't can't know. I like them, Nick but I can remember. I like... There are music selections that I like from all of the movies, but of course the best ones are at the theme park. Like they... I was just I... thinking that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I always, I, Definitely. I've always thought that this Blatt and and. Williams, there. I enjoy their full scores versus yeah. the ones in the middle. I kind of enjoy selections. I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm the same. 
Definitely. So, and Desplat has gone on. You'll you'll see. I mean, before Harry Potter, he was doing quite a bit. He was he scored for Fantastic Mr. Fox, Curious Case of Benjamin Button. He helped a little bit with Twilight, <laughs> surprisingly. <laughs> um, and he's gone on to do many things. And he's still being nominated um, for um, many of the movies he's doing. He was just, I believe, nominated this year for The Danish Girl, um, which of course has our good old Eddie Redmayne. Um, so he's still doing kind of he's still doing very prolific work and I think Potter's actually afforded him a lot of even bigger opportunities but yeah he's and I think you know his score is very remarkable here I think the the probably the big standout point that he made um, quite a bit of discussion of was that he wanted to make sure to do tribute to Williams with Hedwig's theme um, but make sure that he was also developing his own stuff too and you'll notice in the film that um, post Hedwig's demise um, he doesn't really use that theme anymore He's very right. careful about that. Aww. So, uh, we have a, a caller on the line. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hey, it's uh, it's Shauna uh, Ice Pixie One Six Five in the chat. Hello. Hi, Shauna. I'm so excited to be on with all you guys because it's been a while since my episode and I didn't get to talk to everyone. So yay, this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I kind of wanted to talk about the dancing scene because it came up so much in the actual Oh, the dancing scene. And it's like, (laughs) it was so polarizing. So I kind of wanted for people who didn't participate in the chat for them to get to hear the conversation about that. Um, and whether we think it's romantic or friendly or what. <laughs> well, before we weigh in, Shauna, what are your yeah. feelings on the dancing scene? <laughs> I think it's one of the most beautiful scenes in any of the movies. Thank I you. happen to be very close with a lot of guys, and it's something that I could see myself doing if I were in a situation like that that were completely hopeless, and we were being forced to kind of mature at a fast rate, Um, it's just a moment for me, I think, where Harry is saying to Hermione, like, we're kids. This is the last moment we're going to get to be teenagers. Let's just be silly for one last time. And then it ends so abruptly. And then that's it. And they move on. And it's kind of all downhill from there. (laughs) It's a brief reprieve of of reality, of the harshness of the reality of the world they're living in. Um, So I I, I think it's a very special moment, too. And I'm not a, a Hermione... Harry Shiver at all. I understand many people's comments uh, seem to indicate that David Yates definitely is, and I think that's probably right. You go, and Steve Clovis, they go out of their way to to write these yeah. sorts of scenes where these characters interact in a more than friendly manner, but I don't think that this is more than friendly at all, and I think the dancing scene is, is very welcomed because it's it explores just the how the inner workings of the characters uh is like what's happening like they need that moment of levity because there's so much that's just gone wrong ron has left and in the books you get that because it's you're in harry's head but in the movie i think it was really important to show them as you say having sort of one last bout of fun before before Mm -hmm. the end it's just it's a tender moment between friends but it's not sexual do any of us in the group not like the dancing scene I used to not. It used to bother me a lot when this movie first came out, but it's really grown on me. Um, The past couple times I've watched this movie, it's just, it is. It's just this lovely little moment of them just being friends and trying to cheer each other up. And it does. It ends so abruptly. It just kind of stops and 
the moment's over and realities come back. So it's really grown on me. It's by far one of my favorite added scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, it even won when Muggle-Ned did the Harry Potter Oscars a few years ago. It won favorite added scene that wasn't in the books. So I feel like in general people really like it. Um, I am also not a Harmony shipper. But um, I just think it's really beautiful because it's true to Harry's character, right? That even yeah. though all this stuff is going on, he's going to try and make his friend feel good and he knows that she's really sad and very depressed and you also get the the idea that dan made emma laugh a lot like yeah yeah, definitely you just really get that and that would normally be jarring for me i'd be like oh the actors had fun i don't want to know about that um but you just have a feel it was like that's almost the moment where harry and hermione are the most harry and hermione like for some reason in a weird way it doesn't quite make sense as it's coming out of my mouth but I think that <laughs> those two humans and those two characters have never been closer. Yeah, I I I've, I've so. always liked the dancing scene actually because I think the Harry Potter movies as good as they are as adaptations, they do have to go so quickly through more complex mm. ideas that they don't really get to be as complex as the books in terms of kind of making you as an audience member think. You don't really have to think very hard when you watch Harry Potter, which is unfortunate because the books ask you to think. You're kidding? I am thinking all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thinking about how angry you are at the movies, probably. I'm trying to make sense (laughs) of what's going on. Who are these people? What am I doing here? Well, and yeah, I I think, um, you know, what's nice about that scene is it leaves you with a lot of questions. It's open to interpretation. A lot of the Harry Potter scenes aren't open to interpretation in the movies um you you can't really question what happened but there you can because a lot of people you know a lot of fans say oh it's like straight up harry hermione shipping and steve clovis was just like living out his little character fantasy and and which you know that's fair argument but you could also just as easily read it as you know this is these are two individuals who are going through a very deep crisis and they just need a moment to you know laugh for just a minute um and kind of hit with the reality of the situation um you know oh fun fact for <laughs> for all of you live oh, God, not one of these again um and most of you, <laughs> most of you know this but for those of you who don't listeners um the song that is playing on the radio is oh children by nick cave and the bad seeds look it up it's a fantastic song it's a haunting yeah, song it's a very perfect they went through a lot of songs when they were um trying to figure out which one was the right one and they felt they liked this song not only because it kind of focuses on the idea of children being like the the next generation being put through difficulty but also because it specifically mentions a train um and they liked the kind of imagery that that brings up with the hogwarts express um so that's partly why that was selected as the perfect song um Mm. that you know and this particular scene also opens up the discussion to um a few other things that people noticed were altered or eliminated um one big thing that a lot of people were talking about at the beginning was the complete, and we've already talked a little bit about how Tonks was put on the sidelines, but the complete elimination of the Tonks family as the home that they arrived to um, after the battle of, of the Seven Potters. Um, personally, I thought that was okay. I don't really miss the... T- <laughs> yeah, I didn't miss it. There's no reason for it to be there. Yeah. We've already introduced a few characters that we don't know, like, oh, another Weasley child, so why introduce a whole family of Tonkses now? <laughs> it just, it, it, it's, it's more of an emotional punch to have them arrive at a place like the Burrow, wouldn't you say? Like, Well, and I mean, the only reason that, you know, we're introducing them 
in the beginning of the book is because we see Ted later. Yes, because Ted needs to relay yeah. information. Exactly. That, and then die. So unfortunately. Right. And I mean, it, it is just a wider world than the books, right? Hestia Jones and, and the people who are taking the Dursleys off to safety. It's a much, the books can afford to be much more detailed and much Dean more. Dean Thomas, mm-hmm. you know, it's fine. Yeah. Well, and, and what's interesting too is with, with that elimination of characters like Dean and Ted um, and Dirk Cresswell, all of the information ends up actually coming through Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Um, <laughs> For no well, well, how do we feel about that? Because, um, you know, that, that, that really does change how kind of the, the information is progresses. Because I know, for example, Eric, I know you've complained a lot during the book read about how there's kind of just like convenient information drops or, um, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. And here, is this a better way to work it or is it worse? I don't. I don't think it really st- stood out that they were knowing things that they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's something about the realism, something about how it's played. I don't know. It made it seem like more more realistic somehow. Do you have a specific example of like? Well, the when they were just blurting out something they probably no. The radio probably. happens a lot earlier, which kind of gives them a, a way of getting information mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. needing kind of the explanation of, of Ted and the rest of them. That's true. Yeah, the radio's the radio's kind of relegated to the background. Potter watches there. It's just very quiet. <laughs> so, well, that's the weird thing about the, like even the dancing scene, right? Like that song just happens to like be in focus. Like it's just like it comes on. Now the song's over. The radio fades out magically. Well, uh, and the I, the the magical world was giving them that moment together. Probably the biggest al- alternate info dump scene is actually when um, instead of having Ted. Dirk and Dean and and the goblins relaying information from a nearby tent. Harry and Hermione kind of just have a an, a, a brilliant moment when um, Hermione's cutting Harry's hair, <laughs> and it just kind of all comes spewing out. Um, I actually kind of like it just because the film is so intent on keeping the three of them so isolated um, mm-hmm. that it seems to work just to right. to not yeah. introduce anybody else from outside. So, and we have another caller on the line. We do. Hi. Hello. Hey. Hi. <laughs> Introduce yourself. <laughs> um, I'm Jessica, or um, I'm mischief managed on the forums. Hi. So I'm really excited. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> sorry. I was uh, just kind of wondering. Um, someone mentioned in the chat that you, they didn't do the Harry and Ginny breakup scene, and I know you guys have talked in the past about how terrible the Harry and Ginny relationship is done in the <laughs> movie. So I wonder what you guys think about if that would have added anything to that relationship, or if it would have just been out of place given the way they treat that. So we're gonna talk. We're we're gonna talk about zip me up, huh? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> they need to walk away. They need to walk away from Ginny and Harry. Don't give them anything more to do. Like in the books, mm-hmm. I wanted several more chapters. I won't lie. Even if it were just Harry and Ginny, I want it all. Movie? No, go away. Don't don't do it. Yeah, to, ruined it. To, to be fair, they've proven the, that they cannot do just... it. There's just something wrong yeah. when they try. There's it no just chemistry. doesn't work in the movie. Yeah. I don't think there's no chemistry. I don't think that's it. Oh, I think, I think there's zero chemistry. Well, there's no chemistry, and it's not written well either. Yeah. And so it's just like if there what were better writing, happening? there could be better. Yeah. It's it's bad. I don't know. Maybe I'm alone with in this, but given like the pacing that they have to move through the burrow, this time they spend in the burrow, I actually don't have that much of a problem with this scene. Um, I think because like I think it's if they hilarious. were gonna do like 
if they were going to do like the the makeout scene and Ron getting mad, um, that would have taken too much time and it would have been even more out of place. Mm-hmm. I think it's just like the pacing that they chose for shooting the burrow and the lead up to the wedding, and then um, you have like the humor of I can't remember now if it's Fred or it's George that catches them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So and like the humor there, I don't know. I was actually okay with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm with you. I'm perfectly okay with that scene. Mm-hmm. It doesn't bother me at all because no, I like get, it. It's just you the... don't get Ginny and Harry in the last movie, so why should they be breaking up in this movie? Because as far as we know, they're not together. Yeah. So thing I think Ginny coming in and asking Harry to zip up her dress is the most Ginny out of all of the Ginny scenes oh. we've seen yeah, her be in the film. Mm-hmm. Like the confidence that it would take for the character to go out and do that—that that is more Ginny. That is her being flirty. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite come across that way. <laughs> um, it's if, just a... Yeah, if it was a bit more humorous, if she was kind of playing with it a bit more, it, it would be more fun. Just the lack of actual, yeah, chemistry, any kind of spark there is. Just, She's is just sort of like the obligatory. We know these characters are going to end up together, so let's just yeah. put her in a scene when Harry's got to do other stuff and got other stuff on. His it's mind. a lip service to the book readers. Oh yeah, I suppose, or it tries to be. I suppose yeah. the results yeah. of the also, Harry Also, that Ginny. kiss is just awkward. And it's a Guys, pretty dress. <laughs> I, I, just, dress. I just see it more than being an awkward... Maybe I'm, like, reading too much into it the more I watch it. I see it more than just an awkward moment. Like, I don't know. For The more I see it, I don't see, like, asking him to zip her up. Like, that's kind of like, you know, a flirty moment. But, like, the conversation they're having and, like, the, mm-hmm. the intimate space. I don't know. I just see a little bit more there than just, like, this odd, like, yeah. almost sexual tension. And the person... It's just the acting that's awkward. In the yeah. chat, yeah. I see thrustrals. I like how they said, they say Ginny seems very adult in this scene with Harry. And that's what I think. It's yeah. more adult. Yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like home life. Like... Mm-hmm. situation, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, um... I've always liked Bonnie Wright as Ginny, but I think she did, they do give her dreadful things to do for not enough. But so. yeah. as many people screamed in the chat, which was nice to see, another, another. <laughs> <laughs> they really like your Thor cup thing. Apparently, <laughs> yes. I wish I could take credit, but that's all Thor. But, um... No. You popularized it, I think. Not many people saw that movie. <laughs> we got another caller. Hello? Hello. Hey. Introduce yourself. Uh, hello. Um, hi. I'm I'm calling to talk in about the um, uh, movie tech. Yeah. Yeah. You're in the right place. What's your name? What's your name? Is, I'm David, David B. Jones, 999 from the forums. Oh. Hey, oh, baby. Hey. Hi. Hello, everybody. This is my first time calling into the show. Thank well, you. Thank you. For calling in. Yeah. What, do you have, do you have um, something yeah, to I ask? I just wanted to talk a little bit about... Um, them cutting out the um, converse- all the subplots with Dumbledore and his family from yeah. the movie. Because I think that's the one thing that I think I missed the most out of the movies, and I think the one subplot that I think was we're missing the most by losing, and I wonder what everybody else has to say about that. I definitely agree. I've, I've spoke about this a little bit earlier, but just um, to kind of build it into the whole Deathly Hallows idea, you know, these these movies are named after the Deathly Hallows, the books are named after the Deathly Hallows, and Dumbledore's backstory is so interwoven with that um, resurrection stone and with the whole kind of idea of why you would have the Elder Wand and all of those kind of regrets and, and why we should pick one hallow over the other, that to not have it kind of makes the Deathly Hallows just seem cheap cheap like yeah. very uh, superficial um, like 
from the films, like the only thing you would want is the other one because it's powerful. In the <laughs> books, you can understand the reasons for wanting all three different um, Hallows and why they are so powerful when they are together, and why you know it's so significant that Harry has all of them at the end. I definitely okay. remember thinking and hoping that they were going to explore that more in part two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which obviously <laughs> did not come to fruition. Just the notion nope. that, that Dumbledore wanted them and sought them and that was a big deal to him um, is left out. Yeah, I think it, I think it actually, that is the equivalent of damaging the plot as eliminating the Marauders was from Prisoner Onward of taking that out. There's That layer is gone. With- um, I, I would actually completely agree with that. I would agree completely with what Rosie said too. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it is missing. It's certainly something that I think it's more conspicuous for certain people, like people who are looking for, like for me in the films, I want as little Dumbledore as possible. Like Michael Gambon to me did not nail Dumbledore until late in movie six. Like movie mm-hmm. or movie six was the first time that I thought Michael he- Gambon was my Dumbledore or as close to book Dumbledore as it was possible to get. So like, I always just think anything with Dumbledore is pretty awkward because I just think of like the Michael Gammon portrayal and I can't stand it. And so seeing him as like a kid would have like bothered me, I think. I don't know. That might sound crude, might sound out of place, but like I was okay with the omission of the Dumbledore because I can't have what I always wanted, which was more Richard Harris. Well, and I think um, what's weird too about I th- what makes it even more bizarre is that there are bits and hints that are in the movie. Um, Rita Skeeter's book is there. And we see a few photos from it. Hermione kind of mm. briefly touches upon it in the Forest of Dean, um, and it's and, and then we get, of course, the memories um, with Jamie Campbell Bower playing um, young Grindelwald, and none of that is very well explained. And you're kind of like, who's that blonde guy jumping out of the window, and why? <laughs> like, why is this happening? Why is he in the book? <laughs> why? Why is he also in the book? And oh, is that young Dumbledore? I can't tell because. Harry turned the page too fast. So also, it's too dark. <laughs> and it's too dark. But that's like one of the light scenes in the Forest of Dean. You can actually see the book. That's true. Yeah, there's time. snow. <laughs> but but yeah, I think I think it like like we said, it was it's damaging to the plot. But somehow the movie manages to soldier on without it. Um, and then uh, as uh, was uh, just mentioned in the chat um, by a few people, uh, one of the big altered things. Was Wormtail's death, which boo hiss? What's okay? So the 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 facts behind this are that Haman and Yates quote decided that the scene in the book was quote too juvenile, and, which makes no sense. <laughs> and so their approach was somehow totally way less juvenile. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> at least Ow. they certainly thought so. Um, Who gets his wand? Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> We're not really Who gets sure. His wand? I think I don't think Wormtail is even necessarily dead. He's just just out. He's of, just out. knocked out. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's out of the picture. Um, and what's I suppose what suffers there is that his stuff with the with Harry saving sacrificing his life and the silver hand is all that's all been built up properly. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The payoff. It's payoff. all to do with the Marauders, and without all the Marauders information that was cut from all of the films, yeah. none of it would make sense. So. Yeah. So, it's it's the ending we got. <laughs> so, 
Weirdly, though, he does. I do think it would look a bit odd, though, like without without having it explained, to have the hand start like killing it. Yeah, it just mm-hmm. acting it would look slightly odd, and you'd have to think yeah. about a way of explaining it and like having him like fighting against his own hand. Um, so it would have to be carefully done. But I, I do think it still could have been worked out if you know you had some of the backstory to it. Well, yeah, Harry cause... could have spouted a few lines while it was happening. It would have been fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. About as good or bad as the mirror showing up for no reason, right? So. <laughs> we have a caller. Hello. Hello. Hi. Um. I. I'm uh, the dancing scene on the chat right. Oh, hello. Oh. I, I. I guess my my feed is a little bit behind you guys because I was just listening to the worm tail part. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's always, yeah. It's always and, and before I say anything, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Rosie for getting my Stargate reference on the chat earlier. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good one. I liked it. <laughs> and uh, the thing I really wanted to say about Wormtail was I just get so moved by Harry and Ron and Ron trying to save his life there. Yeah. yeah. Like no matter no matter what else is happening to them, no matter what's going on upstairs, their basic instinct is still to preserve life instead of destroy it and i think it's just so representative of the whole point kind of i just think it's beautiful mm-hmm. it, yeah. it reminds me of the draco moment in the end when harry's like we can't just leave him here yeah we have to pick him up i you know yeah these are his enemies like this is the guy who betrayed his parents and eventually led to their death and yet he's still willing to try and save his life it's yeah, yeah just the the gorgeous kind of idea of all life is precious and should be preserved is so important and missing from this scene. Mm-hmm. I just I just had a thought too that I didn't even think about during the chapter. I wonder what Ron's feeling. This was his pet. Like I wonder if there's some like <laughs> residual like weird oh man. He was I just thought he, about that. He was awfully Awkward. attached to Scabbers, wasn't he, back in the day? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> Profound thought. Wow, good point, Allison. I'd mm-hmm. never thought of that before. <laughs> Hopefully Ron has just moved on from that moment. Yeah. And Hopefully. Has Hopefully no emotional attachment whatsoever. Yeah, it's been quite a few years. Ooh, weird. Well, okay. And let's talk about because we're 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 hitting on the trio a little bit here. Let's talk about Dan Rupert and Emma a little bit here. Just let's throw out your general thoughts on the three of them. Emma is flawless. <laughs> Except not all the time. Not completely. No. But basically. But <laughs> mostly. You know, okay, so hit, hitting on Emma first. Um, um, what's, not hitting what, on Emma. Hit, <laughs> but not, <laughs> hey, girl. Hitting on the trust. Trust, that's my job. <laughs> <laughs> we love Emma. Um I actually said in the chat, and I'd, I'd be curious to kind of explore this more with you guys and with our listeners, um, I feel like this is Hermione's movie. This isn't Harry's movie. It's Hermione's No, yeah. no, no, no. Oh, it's not yeah. anyone's movie. The, the trio shine equally. <laughs> uh, and I'm not saying I that think. necessarily in a performance aspect, although I do think Emma, I, they all kill it with their performances, in my opinion. They're amazing. But That's all I'm trying to um, say. But I think that what's interesting about that opening scene is that with in the trio section is that it begins and ends with Emma. And mm-hmm. not Harry. Not with Dan. And he's kind of just in the, he's kind of in the middle of those. And Emma bookends it. And the movie goes to great lengths to kind of keep recalling the action that Hermione takes in the beginning of erasing her parents' memories, that scene comes up again multiple times throughout the film. Um, 
Why? Why? Why this focus on Hermione rather than rather Harry? Than Harry. Because I think it's the fact that this is Harry's ultimate battle. You know, the whole storyline revolves around him finally defeating Voldemort. But to to see how it affects his best friends makes it even more impactful. Um, you know, this is a girl who grew up in the Muggle world, so she represents us going into this magical world where she has finally found a place for herself, and now she's having to erase herself from the life that she's always known in order to protect this life that she's trying to build. Um, so in terms of kind of a meta plotline where, where you know, she represents us as a Muggle audience, mm. her removing herself from those pictures is like us removing ourselves from our world so that we can fight this battle um, so yeah the, just the emotional kind of anchor within that scene is is so important for us to understand what's going on in the film that's what i was just going to say i think that emma and hermione's character has really always been kind of the emotional center of the trio yeah. the the one who you know really sets the tone and you know that if she's worried there's something to really be worried about um i guess with the exception of maybe the uh worse you know it killed or expelled scene but you know um, so I think that having Hermione be the one to really set the tone is most important in this scene. Mm. Fun, fun fact, straight out of page to screen here. Um, Emma, <laughs> Emma said, it says here in the, in page to screen, Emma Watson also knew enough about Hermione to give Stephanie McMillan some advice on her bedroom's decor. And Emma said, and I'll read it in Hermione voice, even though that's not my Emma, there's, that's not Emma's voice, but. I remember walking into Hermione's room, and it just looked too girly. I've been playing her for so long now, I feel I intuitively know what she'd like and what she'd want. Hermione is a very voracious reader. Why are there not more books? I asked. There need to be more books everywhere. <laughs> so. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> just as much as we often cite Ivana Lynch for um, kind of contributing a lot to Luna's character and her actions and the decor and what she wears... Emma Watson was also going to great lengths as well to ensure that Hermione was portrayed true to form, um, going the extra mile, which I thought was great. Um, I have to say, also, showing this scene on film works so much better than telling. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. For, for the yeah, movie. It's I mean, so it, much more impactful. It's yeah. so impactful to actually be able to see it. And we talked earlier about the filmmakers just actively paying off readers. And this is one of those moments where it's like, hey, we're going to capture this and make it the start of the film. But I think it works exactly the way Rosie said like it is an emotional it draws you in for the audience plus we get to see adorable baby pictures of Emma let's be real yeah, yeah. I mean <laughs> they're so cute <laughs> what, what? Earlier, they, they were kind of talking about how all three characters are strong and all three actors are really strong um, perhaps at, at varying times and it, it kind of struck me that um, Emma, and, Emma and Hermione are given the emotional heart at the beginning of the film um, and then when we get to to the middle of the film, you know, when Ron leaves, Rupert just steals the oh, show, and that that kind of argument is just so raw and so amazing. Um, and then someone else mentioned that you know Dan really sells it when Dobby dies, and and the emotion yeah. of that scene. So we've got all three actors having those shining moments throughout the film, and kind of balancing out the whole idea, um, the whole. Um, emotional up and downs throughout you know everyone gets their own moment and it's and it yeah, works I, I really so like well it does. i don't know how they did yeah. it but like filming it back to back with part two which is just this running leap you know towards towards the finale like to me it's just like so action it's like how do you do this 
I guess it's called acting. But I mean, this, this <laughs> movie, I love this movie so much for its for its slightly more minor key. Well, I think um, there was a lot of trepidation yeah. on a lot of people's part, wondering if the three of them could actually take this on because there was the foreknowledge that this movie was the one where the three of them were going to have to hold the movie up on them, their shoulders almost completely. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think they do it, actually. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah, actually don't I think... Yeah, I do. I definitely do. I think they... I think that Scabier and Zeno hold the film. <laughs> <laughs> and that art... <laughs> that that animated scene. Yeah. Oh, oh. I going going back to Rupert for a second though. Yes. I Rupert loves. He does so well. Like he finally gets a chance to shine and I think the script really finally gave him a chance to to act. To be as <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. to be as amazing as he can be. And I think that that's one of the weaknesses of the earlier films is that Rupert's pretty amazing and they just didn't give him any moments that he could have had from the books. And no, so it's finally at last leaving. we just you know, there's comic moments, yeah. but he is such a good dramatic actor. He needs to be in kind of gritty films where he gets to be that really dark character because he will If be you've watched character. recently like Philosopher's Stone or Sorcerer's Stone, he is amazing in that movie. Like he is oh, so yeah. good in movie 1 and then watching movie 7 here just now is like he was always really good. It's just he was underused. Well, the um, the the one I the the example I always cite of kind of the three of them is back during Sorcerer's Stone when they were interviewed and they were asked what they would do with all their money at a press conference. Yeah. And Dan, right. Dan Dan very quietly went, oh, I, I, I don't know. And then Emma said, I put mine in a savings account for college. And <laughs> Rupert said. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this money because, you know, it, they're giving us muggle money. Like, they're not giving us galleons and stuff. So what am I supposed to do with that? And, it, it from, and Rupert was always like that throughout the whole series, I think. He, he just loved Harry Potter from the beginning. He was so steeped in it as a fan. Yeah. Um, Rupert um, just understands the books. He understands the characters. He understands yeah. the heart. And he just sells it every single time. He lived those movies and he lived those books. Yeah. Yeah, so it's nice that he gets a chance to finally do something other than mugging and being silly. He's got some right. yeah. substantial work to do on this movie, and yeah, of course there's there's rugged woodsman Daniel as we, <laughs> <laughs> as he was termed in the chat, which I certainly didn't have a problem with. Um, <laughs> like that wardrobe, Dan. You know what's interesting about Dan is I the thing I often cite about his acting. He, you know, I think he's the one that actually grew the most with his acting over the course mm-hmm. of the eight films. Yeah, oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Like, the one thing you don't see anymore is that twitchy Daniel Radcliffe lip when he's angry. That has finally <laughs> yeah. stopped. Oh, good girl. Um, I think, and, you know, Kat, you mentioned this a few, you know, a few movies ago that the stage was perhaps what helped Daniel with that. Oh, yeah, I think so. I think, I feel like that's true for you know a lot of actors it either really helps you or it kind of completely turns you off and I think that having that openness and that rawness and that you know live aspect really helped Dan grow so yeah yeah he's and I think he's a great actor then and now yeah no I think and and again shouldering a lot of this movie on him that he really wasn't you know quite doing at that level I think he did a pretty impressive job all things considered um but uh, so that's that's the trio. We've hit on them plenty enough. They're they're great. We love them. Uh, and now it was now it was mentioned just briefly. And so let's let's expand on it because it's an amazing. Actually, let's let's go to this one because we can. The trio 
kind of goes nicely into that. There's another trio who showed up in this movie playing the trio. Sophie Thompson was uh. <laughs> was added as Mafalda Hopkirk. She was replacing Jessica Hines, who did the voice in Order of the Phoenix during the little letters, the talking letter scene. Um, she is also, just so happens to be the sister of Emma Thompson, Sybil Trelawney. Um, no more, more fun relationships. Um, David O'Hara took on Runcorn, and I believe it's Stefan Rodri was, um, Reg Cattermole. And these three often get, uh, singled out for their performance. Um, Why? Because it's amazing. <laughs> I I just noticed this time, especially that um, David O'Hara's facial expressions match Dan's confused expression so well. <laughs> it's kind of creepy. There's yeah, and, and you notice it. too. The more you look at them, is that they really look like yeah Dan and Emma and Rupert. Like it, it's some weird amalgamation of them and. The tree. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah, that. But I love it. That like a good leads weird. into. Well, and that leads casting. into the discussion too about poly, the polyjuice potion and it's. You, you know, it's in a way you kind of don't realize it when you're reading the book, but when it's all condensed into the movie, you're just like, wow, polyjuice potion is used a lot in this storyline. Um, <laughs> and what's and the, you know there was a lot of discussion in the chat about how the poly the kind of inconsistencies with polyjuice potion and the sacrifices that have to be made for it on film probably the biggest one being that you still hear the characters voices um even though they're completely different people and in a way it's kind of funny because they did seem to as you all noticed choose actors who looked like the characters um so in a way did they need to do the voices as the actors um there's an inconsistency as well yeah, but I'm not yeah. sure because well, didn't in in um, Chamber of Secrets didn't it have the boys I being in Chamber I of think, Secrets? Yes, I they think they it's used, Rupert and Dan's. It's Rupert and Dan's voices, sure? but but in Goblet of Fire, Moody doesn't have David Tennant's voice. So that's, that's true, true, but then that would be a big spoiler as to the yeah. Plot. Of course it would. So there you go, <laughs> plot. But uh, I guess you could say that you know. Um, uh, Barty Crouch Jr. could have spent some time learning how Moody would speak and then developing yeah. that and then putting a spell on his voice maybe to make it sound the same, whereas Ron and Hermione and Harry wouldn't learn that. So yeah, you could get well, around they, it quite easily. They do bring that up in Chamber of Secrets too, where they're like trying to sound more like Crabbe and Coyle. I was going to say, because they like clear their throat and then their voice gets all deeper and everything. Right? <laughs> yeah, Stomach but it, it's still their voices, yeah. I think. Yeah. So. Yeah, it is. Um... But uh, the, the, the performance can be attributed, the, the fantastic performance on their part can be attributed to the uh, Sophie, David, and uh, Stefan all watched the trio extensively. There was a lot of observing of each other on the set. Um, a lot of actors. Lot of actors. I, I just want to know what that looks like. like. <laughs> they, they did the scene with the original trio and then they watched it yep. and then they did it again. So that, yeah, so they could actually see how Oh, they did they do that with this then. one too? Yeah. I no, thought they just did that with uh, another um, fun fact for one. you. Before proper, um, before the uh, reshoots were done, um, af- as they were heading into post production, before the reshoots were done on the um, on the uh, epilogue, uh, which they realized was a mistake the first time they shot it, uh, <laughs> the scene where Harry, Ron, and Hermione jump into the fireplace is the final scene that was filmed on yeah. camera for the entire series. 
Um, so that 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 big jump, as they said, it was the leap, the leap out of to the end. Um, so that's a, quite a meaningful scene. So it's nice because you get to see it in slow motion in the movie. Actually, that I I love that scene. That's probably one of my favorite scenes yeah, in Deathly Hallows so Part One. Is the is the chase? Um, I know it's actually pretty slow paced and kind of more like strategic in the book, but I love a good chase scene, and that chase scene is done particularly well. Good use of your slow motion movie. That doesn't usually happen anymore. Um, but what others? What other scenes? We oh okay. Oh, we've got a caller before we even go on to another scene, and it looks like somebody we might know too. If we can. <laughs> Maybe I think I think she's still popping in here. Okay. Well. Oh, yeah, there she Amanda. is. Hello. Hello, guys. Hello. It is. <laughs> I still have my knife on me just because I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't Dobby have your knife? Oh. Yeah. I, I you know, space time continuum. I got it back. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just glad I don't have a stuffy of like Dobby lying around the house. Oh my god, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> uh, Christmas gift ideas. Christmas gift ideas. Amanda, know what to get her, guys? What, what do you want to talk about? I wonder. Do tell. I was going to pitch in my ideas, well, not ideas, my opinion on the 3D because I think I might have been the only one watching, watching it really. on 3D tonight. Yes. Uh, I, it's such a shame that they didn't get it finished for theatrical release because the Seven Potters scene, the um, Three Brothers story, oh, it is so beautiful in 3D and I hope everyone gets an opportunity to watch it that way one day, whether you like 3D or not. <laughs> you know, in a way, I, I, I could see that being beneficial in this movie because there isn't that gimmicky nature in Deathly Hallows Part 1 of the 3d it isn't the kind of in your face let's pop something out of the screen like yeah i don't know it's pretty amazing in part two as well like i must admit i cried inside when i saw the dome going over hogwarts in 3d on my own tv at home but that that's that's for the next film oh <laughs> home, home 3D and cinema 3D, somehow it looks better on a home 3D TV. I don't know oh. if it's the technology's different or... Maybe, and I think you're just allowed to cry a bit more when you're at home. Too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a safer place. There's nothing I'm crying about over this movie, except definitely for not maybe... Dog, no. it, definitely not dog. I'm cheering. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um... The one thing that I am closest to crying about is Hedwig's death. What do you guys oh. think about oh. the change? Do you do you? What do you think I of love the change, it. Amanda? I do love you, this. Do you scene like better. it? Yeah. I I love it. I think it it's actually better than what Joe wrote, and probably one of the only times that the film makes a change that it's like, you, did, you know, Joe, you should have done it that way to start with. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, that one and um, Harry saying i must i sorry professor i must not tell lies yeah like those are the two that i'm like yep those fit oh and the and the fish uh, no yeah fish. <laughs> i like the fish <laughs> well you know i think i think what's neat about um hedwig's death what works with it so well is that not only does it give her a better send-off but it's also actually relevant to the plot um, yeah. because it not only serves that purpose, but it also replaces Stan Shunpike being present during the Seven Potters battle. Um, cause in a way in the movies that would make less sense. 
Um, <laughs> so that that ends up actually serving a plot point and also giving a better send off to Hedwig. I think and what was interesting was in the promotional stuff, the only thing that was revealed that was that Harry sends Hedwig off um, from the Dursleys. So a lot of people actually oh, right. thought Hedwig was going to survive the movie. Yeah, um, that would have been a cool change. Yeah, that didn't yeah, happen. There's a caller on the line, and we're hearing ourselves again. Hello, caller. Hi. Uh, hey. Uh, I'm Sarah. I'm... Hello? Hi. Hello. Hey. Hi. Sorry, this is... I'm excited. Um, I'm <laughs> flying more for Ang- my Ford Anglia on the forum. Um, pretty oh, cool. new. Um, but anyway, um, it's a little bit off topic, but I just wanted to give the obligatory I love the way that the film adapted the Three Brothers tale like that's every time I watch this movie I'm always blown away by how well they uh, did that Um, the imagery and the animation or whatever that they did there I always thought was just so incredible agreed I I completely agree completely agree Mm -hmm. now the okay so let's go into that because that's probably one of the most striking moments in any of the potter films a lot of people cite the tale of the three brothers because a lot of people were wondering how they were going to do it um and the animation style of the tale of the three brothers is actually i i was this was my one this was my big potter film moment when i first saw the movie like in my head i was pointing at the screen and being like i know the reference i get it there's a thing going on here <laughs> this <laughs> this animation inspired is inspired by uh Lottie reiniger who was um she made one of the first animated films she actually didn't make the very first one um those films are no longer sur- those films have not survived um but she has the first film that still has survived through to through time that was animated. It's called The Tale of Prince Ahmed. It's um, stop motion and done with um, paper cutouts and sand. And it's uh, sloggingly long and absurd. But, and it's t- based on the tale of the, the Tales of the Arabian Nights. Um, but it's a beautifully shot film. It's, it's hard to get through just because it's a bit difficult to watch because it's very long. But it's beautiful to look at. And that is the direct inspiration. Um, I'm assuming because just as the tale of the three brothers is kind of the original wizarding fairy tale, um, there's kind of a loving tribute to film fairy tales because the tale of Prince Ahmed was one of the first animated fairy tales ever put on screen. Um, and that's where that kind of stylized kind of woodcut look of the characters comes from. Um, and you know, some people have cited that they felt that this scene stands out a little too much because it's animated. Um, and it's the first kind of scene like this that we've ever seen in Potter. What did, what do you guys feel about this scene? Uh, I want it to stand out. So Mm -hmm. I'm kind of okay with that. And I love it. I think it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. I like the stylistic choice being different. I'm glad they didn't film it also, because if they filmed it, then they could have cut it like they did the Potter Snape's worst memory scene and every other scene that was ever filmed uh, a backstory. Yeah, I agree. I didn't realize that people, I've never really heard that criticism that people didn't like that it stood out as like so distinct, but that's interesting. I definitely love it. Yeah. I, it's, it's just beautiful. I mean, it's a, it's a story within a story, so it should be different, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
the other thing that makes it work um, that people don't often give credit for, but Emma Watson is doing a pretty fantastic voiceover job in that section. She did, yes. She will be the next Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but she's she's definitely a very good reader. And she actually has said in interviews before that was one of the hardest scenes for her to do voiceover in ADR because she actually had to keep tempo with the animation that was already done. Um, and still mm-hmm. convey the emotion of the prince's, the, or the, the, not the prince's tale. That's different. The three brothers' tale. Um, but mm. I thought she did a beautiful job on that. Um, I, the important question to ask, Eric, is can she pronounce penguin? Is really the important <laughs> question. Penguin. Penguin. Have you not seen that Benedict Cumberbatch thing where he can't say penguin? He says penguin. It's so funny. Penguin. I think <laughs> now I need now I need to ask her that next time we talk. <laughs> <laughs> so the the other some of the other scenes that um people were kind of talking a lot about really the the scene that really didn't get really any criticism mostly just praise overall was Godric's Hollow. That's oh. oh, and that's my least favorite part of this what? film. Really? Uh, Why? Yeah. Oh God. It's my well. I just I don't like it in the book and I don't like it in the film. Oh, I mean, that, well, you are on an island out. with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. In the film, it's just again, it's the nursery. Like I said, like it's cool to have a distinctive, like a different look to the nursery next door, but it's just like it felt too much of a weird choice. Most of the film is just so dark, and Godric's Hollow is not any better. Like, it just, it doesn't, like, visually, it's just, you can barely see what's going on. This is a place where you are where you actually don't want to see what's going on because there's probably blood and flies everywhere. I know, it's just weird. It's just absolutely, like, the most macabre, you know, moment for Harry and and Hermione to get himself into. And it's, I don't know, something But isn't that exactly what it's supposed to be? Yeah. It may have been adapted well, but I cannot possibly stand it. that way, like, I I like the scene because there is all this this um like you were saying eric the the blood and the flies and things and what i like about that is like that scene when emma goes into the kitchen and you can't see what she's seeing but you can tell whatever she's seeing is horrifying yeah Um, and then she just like screams harry's name and yeah like it hits her that something's horribly wrong here there's a lot going on in the scene that's left to the imagination yeah but like the horror and the the nastiness of this scene is done well and you know it is um made to be as horrific as it sounds it should be you know this is a woman that's been eaten by a snake and is then the snake is being her that is horrific um but i still can't watch that transformation there's there's almost no agency behind it there's no understanding in the film that it was voldemort who did this that he stationed her no that's a downfall but you know that that's his snake yeah Mm -hmm. we know those that aren't following it as closely might not. No way, because you see Nagini at the opening of the movie. That's definitely, like, people know that that's Nagini. I think if the they film, don't, the then f- they're not paying attention. Yeah, no, the film works enough. The, the film works hard enough to make sure you know that Nagini is Voldemort's snake. Um, right. But I could see but that. This isn't just that. a horror film. Like, this, that, that moment is very horrific, and that's fine. But the whole of the Godric's Hollow scene is missing something. Um, and it was, um, I think I see Festrals in the, in the chat just said that it's missing the, you know, the statue of the Potters, it's missing yeah. the, the signpost outside the house, 
it's it's missing the Ariana backstory of, of you know the Dumbledores used to live in, in Godric's Hollow all of yeah. that information is not there and so it's just here are two people walking in the snow and then get attacked by a snake you know what's also missing the snake doesn't come out of her neck <laughs> that's true <laughs> that's a missed opportunity yeah she kind of just sheds yeah. away so it's a little bit different I see we have a yeah. collar on the line I, oh, <laughs> I do. um I was just wondering, um, just talking about the Godric Hollow scene, yep. do you think it would have been better if the film was rated at a higher age, like uh, 15 for the UK, I don't know about American ratings, but just to add, um, I don't know, because um, young adult films nowadays tend to be rated 12 just to get more of an audience, but do you think it would have been better uh, as a higher age? Well, in America, that presents a problem because you can't, if yeah. you push past PG-13, yeah. you go to R. <laughs> That's, yeah. And yeah. we can't do mm-hmm. that. Um, you, you're, you've eliminated your whole teen audience if you push to R. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, mm, I I think the thing, though, too, is that PG-13 as a rating here in the States has evolved to what it means. And I think Harry Potter yeah. actually has a lot to do with that. Um, mm-hmm. Harry Potter and Hunger Games kind of changed what PG thirteen means, um, and like the Marvel superhero and the Marvel movies. universe. Yeah, absolutely. oh yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's 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 definitely a few movies that have evolved that rating since. So in a way, I if, if Harry Potter were made now as a PG thirteen film, I think it would be a different film. Yeah. That said, I don't think the Godric's Hollow scene suffers because they couldn't be more graphic. Um, I think the choices that were made that doomed that scene were to not include a lot of what's actually happening. Um, I would agree with that. I I actually quite like that scene. I think it works pretty well. I, I definitely think the, the Potter kind of remembrance is missing. But, like, the breaking into the little nursery, I think that's so good. Because all of a sudden it's this flash of bright and you remember that there's still life and, like, lives going on around all this terrible stuff that's happening to these main characters well it sets up a contrast as yeah yeah like i yeah i think i think that's awesome yo rufus on fire mentioned that in the chat that there it's meant to there's an element of that that it's meant to be a mirror of um kind of when harry was attacked by voldemort as a child in this same location um but uh i guess the other probably big things were (laughs) the ending of the film from uh, from the Malfoy Manor onwards business and uh, being caught by the Snatchers. Um, so maybe we can talk about that a little bit. Um, so, and, and, and a big element of that is, of course, as he's been mentioned before, Dobby. Oh. Yeah, let's talk about Dobby. So... Mm, let's not. Oh, we have to. <laughs> oh, but we must. Um, so Dobby actually... Um, doesn't show up the first time he shows up is not in his proper scene in hallows when he first shows up um he gets to come along with creature to capture mundungus fletcher um as um as uh Heyman put it that was because in uh in the movies we haven't seen dobby for a long time and uh he wanted to make sure that everybody remembered who he was before he gets so emotionally <laughs> killed off um yeah. and they spend a good 10 minutes on him so specifically does does dobby work for you all does the does the does his inclusion work does the death work 
What do you? I mean, I think you all know my answer. Uh, Yes, and and I expressed this in the chat earlier. Is that part of it? Is that I am so connected to Book Dobby that that's the emotion that I'm pulling from when he passes and all of that. So it's it's not necessarily that in the movie it's stronger. It's just that I'm pulling that relationship from the books for me. But although I do think the his death is is nice, and I like that. Harry looks to Hermione to help him fix it because Hermione fixes everything and yeah. he just hopes that that's going to happen again and then he realizes that it's not and I feel like that reaction also adds to Dobby's death for me is just how Harry takes it. It's not just so much the death itself. Yeah, I agree. And I think that I think they could have tried to push it a lot more and it would have really flopped and I like that they kind of added a lot of simplicity to it. So I'm really mm-hmm. down with it. It's another quiet moment for me, even though there's there's talking. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of those the silent break after Harry, you know, Dobby's standing there clutching his little chest, and it's kind of quiet as Harry runs over to him. It's just another one of those great moments for me. Well, and I like that Dobby's not the first person he thinks about. That the first thing he does is run to Hermione and say, "It's okay, we're all okay, we're all okay," and then. He turns around. Well, you know, it's funny. I thought about this. Is that scene on the beach when after they apparate is filmed exactly the same way as when they leave the ministry. So it focuses on oh, Harry. Yeah. And then Harry's reaction. And then he looks over and sees Ron and Hermione and he runs over to them. It's filmed yeah. identically. It's identical. Huh. When they get out of the ministry, Harry immediately looks for the Horcrux as soon as he regains consciousness and then looks for Harry, uh, looks for Hermione and Ron. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this time, I don't think he even goes for the sword or anything. He just literally goes straight to Hermione and Ron and makes sure that everyone's yeah. all right and says they're all fine. So it shows <laughs> a bit of growth there and a bit of, you know, the fact that um, they've, you know, the Horcrux has been destroyed. And it, it kind of shows how all um, all encompassing the kind of attention grabbing of that particular Horcrux was. Whereas now they're back to being a united trio and they can work properly together as a unit. And then the emotional overhaul of, of Dobby's death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Okay, it's also so. a logical point to kind of split the two films um, to have that kind of climax at the end of that scene and then the emotional kind of gut-wrenching downfall from it um, it leaves us in a, a, a good state to want to watch the next film even if it's a, a bittersweet ending mm-hmm. yeah and to not just end with his death but to add that little short scene at the end that they actually put at the beginning of the next one too that kind of you're in that kind of low and then it all of a sudden just shoots up again and mm-hmm. that works well and before i actually let i'm i'll say my piece on dobby and then we'll backtrack a little bit um because there's one more scene that i probably should have talked about before we talked about this but um I'm, I'm i'll be the counterpoint to dobby there were like me and three other people who felt this way in the chat um <laughs> and i know you're all gonna hate me but that's fine because i stand up for my opinions on film I'm not crazy. I've never been crazy about Dobby. I like him a lot. I've liked him a lot more in this reread than any other time that I've read the books. Um, and what the house elf storyline contributes overall to Harry Potter. Um, my frustration, I think personally in the film comes with the fact that for me, the film is trying too hard to pull directly on my heartstrings and make me care about Dobby when I haven't seen him since movie number two. Yeah. And, yeah, and and that was a finance issue, which is really annoying. Yes, yes, because yes, they claim they, they as they said, the house elves yeah, were expensive to right. make. Um, You're right, and I, you know, some people have gone so far as to compare Dobby to a Jar Jar Binks. I don't think he's that bad. What? No, <laughs> no. that's a little extreme. 
Hey, look, although, <laughs> to that point... To don't that, do this, Eric. Don't do yeah, this. don't go there, buddy. Look, 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 I, this is safe. This is really safe. I promise. <laughs> to that point, both of those characters for me represent a sort of innocence that is in the world. Yes. And, oh, uh, not... Charger's just annoying. Well, but I think, but no, that's a valid point. What Eric's saying, I honestly think that they make both of those worlds better because they represent uh, a lightness that you know, not everything's dark, not everybody's dying everywhere, and you know, it's important to have some innocence, and that's what Dobby does does for me. Is you know, you, you do really enjoy. How seeing how happy he is to see his friend, and I, I will agree to a certain extent that it it may be a little too hard of the tugging on the pulling on the heartstrings. I, I can I can see that point in this movie, but but Dobby for me is just he's he's innocence washed uh, bare and killed um, because he doesn't he no longer belongs in this world. This world is too corrupt for Dobby. See, I, I think the yeah. chat is not happy with this comparison. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, Michael, then, then well, then regardless a... of how you feel about Jar Jar, I'm sorry, chat. I'm sorry. And I think, Michael, um, I have that... a question for you then. What? So if you don't connect to Dobby because we haven't seen him for a while, how can you connect to um, Tonks and Lupin? In the movies, I don't. I'm not really sad oh, when okay. they die. Good. Like, because I think that's a. I mean, like, it... I'm disappointed in the characterization, just like I am with Dobby. Like, it's 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 kind of just wasted time um unfortunately yeah. swish and flick 27 says i would have loved to have seen dobby taking care of winky in the movies and i think that's part oh, of the issue yeah. as well yeah. dobby is quite a superficial character in the film yeah. because oh, he's not had all of these plot lines that have made us fall in love with him as a character you know, and it's, um, it's so yeah we needed winky we needed the barty crouch stuff we did but you know what like this is the first film they split so we couldn't have possibly had any of those things before because mm-hmm. they didn't take the time yeah. to be able to give the films what they could have needed to be better adaptations like it's it's even it, so i think it's fitting that dobby shows up here for the first time uh, i i would have of course loved him in earlier films but this is the first film where they finally took time to bring something like that back and so it's interesting mm-hmm. to see such like a b or c or d level plot in this film socks are important also points out that um, Dobby's lines were given to Neville, so thanks to the lack of Dobby, we had more Neville, which is <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, you know, again, my, my thing with Dobby really is just that, and, and as you were saying, Eric, that representation of innocence, for me, I think the movie covers that already. There's so much innocence lost, and it's done so well just through Dan and Emma and Rupert and the callbacks to the original. There's so many visual callbacks to Sorcerer's Stone um, that are done mm-hmm. very well. Um, that yeah, maybe, but Dobby's like a child, like because he's smaller yeah. and Harry's holding him and he dies in Harry's arms. It's very evocative of like childhood. I see innocence being lost. I see that the teenagers are getting grittier, and I see less and less of the screen because it's getting darker. <laughs> but Dobby <laughs> is Dobby's actually like the child role in this film more so than than the trio. The trio have been going through this for years and years and years. But Dobby's the one who very heroically shows up. But it's almost. It's like it's comical. Like that's the comedy that works with Dobby. Like when he has that line about to me more seriously, Inja. Like he's just having a ball. <laughs> he's just absolutely yeah. having a blast. You miss a lot of what he's doing, which is, of course, he's so intimately familiar with the Malfoy Manor because he lived there. And like, what? Did somebody say wait? Yeah, we have a guest. Oh, we have hello. A caller. Oh. oh, we have a hello. Caller. I wasn't even trying. <laughs> <laughs> Did we call you? How did it... No, I think I... No, 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 I called you. I was just curious. I was just curious that if I tried on my phone, 
would have asked me to buy Skype credit. Well, tell everybody who you are. I'm Felix Commander. Hello. Oh. Hey. Yeah, hello. <laughs> Question for us? Right. No, I was just trying. Um... <laughs> Well, yeah, I did have a couple questions, but then people asked them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, How do you feel about Dobby, Felix? <laughs> yeah. Sad. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's valid. That's, that's exactly right. There you go. <laughs> I will say that if, like, anyone who is, like, in Wales, by chance, and you, like, have a chance to go to this beach, it is a really lovely and just remarkable place like on its own it's like a beautiful beach but like when you like have this part of the movie with you it's it's one of the best places i've ever been i would completely agree with that i want to hear more about this beach like i want to go check out that youtube video the road you trip. should it's beautiful i, I um, haven't i cannot it, believe i haven't i don't know it took us what like four hours to get there from cardiff i think yeah something like that and the great thing is it's not very pot like there weren't at least when we went there weren't a lot of people there so we really like weren't like rubbing shoulders with people like trying to figure out like we we took a lot of time to figure out where we thought shell cottage was um we made a makeshift dobby grave uh mm-hmm. <laughs> it was the middle of summer too so yeah it wasn't very busy at yeah. all <laughs> it was beautiful we highly recommend it 10 stars how dare you laugh eric <laughs> no the makeshift dobby grave it's just that seems like a fan thing to do i was gonna like, say i so, bet there'd be like was. a lot of dobby it's graves. like running your cart into the wall at, at king's cross before they built that one <laughs> And you know what was great? We were walking along and people were talking about how they filmed that scene here. So it's not like it wasn't public knowledge either, which was kind of nice. But you were the only ones who brought a shovel and actually did that. No, we didn't do that. I did. I stole sand from that beach. I'm super illegal. (laughs) I did illegal things, but I still have sand. Was it a preserve where you're not supposed to steal sand? I think it's like Um, a just like international travel thing. Yeah. yeah, agricultural mm-hmm. product or. Oh yeah, you're supposed to. You have to declare it because there could be parasites in that. Dirt Cats destroyed yeah, the United States of America. <laughs> Single-handedly. Um, yeah. Um. Mine wasn't international, so mine's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I just gave her a rock, so it's fine. Oh, but, but yes, so that's that's Dobby. Um, he's he's gone now. So Dobby Binks. Oh, Dobby Binks. <laughs> oh my you. gosh. <laughs> Terrible. I think the one thing I wanted to backtrack to before we we kind of wrapped up was um, uh, the really the other big scene that got a lot of discussion was the silver doe, um, and uh, the the you know they the <laughs> a lot of people were were mentioning um of course uh rest in peace Sir Alan Rickman um we miss you very much and uh, a lot of people were saying. Oh, it's so sad because this is like the Alan Rickman scene, but he's not actually here in this movie. <laughs> so it, it was kind of sad to realize that he does get his one. It would have ruined the, the mystery to show him. On yeah. The other side of the yes, street. of course. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You get it in the next the movie. It's fine. Still, still one is a lot of people. A lot of people were talking about in the chat. And I haven't really seen this discussion before, but it was interesting. And I, I think a lot of people were saying that it kind of hit them as we were watching it. That the silver doe in the movies, strictly in the movie context, doesn't really make any sense. No, <laughs> I don't think it makes sense. No, it doesn't like make sense until much later, right? Yeah. And I think you're supposed to be left a little bit confused, to be honest, if you haven't read the books. It's a helping it's hand. It's such a small moment as well. Like it just kind of appears, and then less than a minute later, it's gone. So it's, <laughs> it's not even really made a big thing about. Whereas it's a massive thing in all of the kind of book fandom. Um, so for it to not really have a, a kind of a <clears throat> this isn't this an interesting mystery kind of hook to it 
makes it even less. But but it's only a big thing because of what we find out later. In this yeah. moment when you're reading the book, it's not a big just thing. There. The context is what makes it a big deal. It's, the confusion is there in the book. So we've got Harry's thoughts about what is this? Why am I following it? Who who sent me this Patronus? In the right. film, we, we don't even realize that it is a Patronus almost. There's just this weird... Yeah, that's fair. Well, yeah, because in... And, and I think that's where a lot of the confusion was coming for a lot of our listeners um, this time over because there was a lot of extensive discussion um, near the beginning of the film when Kingsley's Patronus shows up and it's not a lynx. It's a ball of... It's a tiny ball of light. And it, <laughs> and it and it kind of like projects images of the ministry being destroyed, um, and and being taken over. And so it's it's not really doing what a Patronus has ever been shown doing before or is supposed to do. But but that's not a legit. I mean, it's a Patronus, but it's not the same kind of Patronus. No, this is like a messaging Patronus. Not a, it's, so we don't know how yeah, those act. Um, but we still know in the books they're they're the animals they are. And then it's weird because for the past few films, like after Prisoner, they stopped making the animals, it, like Patronuses into animals. They were just like these shiny things. Tiny balls of light. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden we get Umbridge's Patronus is a cat, quite clearly, in this movie. Yeah. And then we get the doe. And so it's like there's no continuity. And it's I disagree really because I'm pretty sure we don't see many Patronus is between um order and now well dumbledore's army had all like they yeah. were animals oh they were yeah animals. true right there. but right but she's saying that the continuity is wrong and i don't think we actually see any patronus in um half-blood prince do we King- kingsley is the only one i remember and that's not an animal like but you were saying it's a messaging one right it's different so i actually think personally for me in the movie that that works just fine because if you saw a talking lynx in the movie you're gonna be like what the heck is that nobody's gonna <laughs> get patronus. it we were supposed to get um arthur's patronus telling them that they were safe and yeah. they could stay at the house at Gribble place mm. um i think we were supposed to have does lupin have a patronus that we we get a message from at some point as no well? no so, sorry i, I can't so. be here i got cut from the movie <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that that kind of brought up just a lot of questioning about like does the does the dough still work? And I think we'll get to that more in part two. I'd say the dough only works because Alan sells the performance, um, not so much because of the plot device. Because of course, eliminating the explanation that Harry's stag Patronus is representative of James kind of yeah. confuses that point unfortunately um, again it's the whole marauders thing being left being out. left out again yeah the other kind of remarkable thing about that scene this that particular scene is of course the follow-up where ron and harry destroy the horcrux um and as a lot of people <laughs> pointed out and as i said in the chat most passionate kiss in the entire film series and it's not even <laughs> real <laughs> oh man my goodness Eating, sucking face is what's going on there. But my, the, some imp- it makes you wonder what Ron thinks about if that's what he pictures. <laughs> right? Yeah. Those two for real. The, the actual Romani kiss in the last movie is quite good. It's good. That's a good one. The water splash kiss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. With the giggles. <laughs> the giggles sell it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. But uh, but yeah, that that you know, kind of the the first big sense. Well, since, um, I suppose, Chamber of Secrets, our first proper big uh, Horcrux destruction scene. Um, nice big... 
Nice big explosion. Great adaptation I, of the scene. I just love how when they open the locket, it just... Yes. Yeah, it's like sudden, an explosion. All of a sudden, it's 150 times bigger than you thought. The amount of power that that locket has and that we've seen kind of infecting their minds throughout the beginning of the movie, it needed to have that a massive yeah. power explosion when it was right. destroyed. Yeah, they were really immediately good. like in over their heads. Immediately, you're just yeah. like, whoa, what are they going to do? That's one of my favorite um, uh, pieces of the score from this Blatt is the is the locket scene because there's yeah that one's good that's a fantastic one with that kind of weird it's weirdly romantic um but there's kind of like this weird undertone to it it's great um very well acted on everybody's part as somebody noted i think some of us noted during the chat that um <laughs> i think rupert had to be taken away from the set around that point because yeah. he was giggling too yeah. much watching <laughs> watching dan and emma kiss um so yes like little children all over that set um now and then you know fast forwarding again back to the back to the end um as as we talked about dobby Dobby passes we get a little bit of malfoy he's just pretty much there to be like yeah that's harry but i'm not really gonna say it and then helena bottom carner kind of steals the scene um a lot of great yes a lot of great returning actors this this was kind of the movie where everybody was like are they gonna come back and pretty much everybody did um, that was asked to the other kind of standout return was um, of course Imelda Staunton as Umbridge um, getting her last farewell um, but but then of course then this then the end happens and the splits and we've talked about it a little bit now what as Eric mentioned at the beginning of our discussion the split was um, uh, again uh, there were a few people for and against it on the production team Heyman was actually very much against it at first um what was interesting was cloves suggested that it should be three parts mm. <laughs> that is incorrect. of course he did <laughs> of course he did because cloves wanted an entire movie to the ron and hermione or harry and hermione kissing two hours of that <laughs> i think nobody i mean honestly if the fans, if they had said they were going to make seven movies out of this movie, nobody would have said no to it. Let's be real. It might not have been the best movies ever, but nobody would have said no to more Harry Potter, which is why so many people so many people are campaigning for a television series or a comic or yeah. whatever. Well, yeah, that's you know? it. It I doesn't even have to be like a series. Like they could do... They could easily do little kind of TV specials where they do like the Marauders story and they do Dumbledore story and they could just write little focused plots, all the subplots that they cut out and it would be amazing just to have these little bits that flesh out. They should really do it like Sherlock where it's like Ooh, an hour yeah, and a half episodes. Yeah. Or yeah. what would have been a really cool setup is like how the X-Files does it where they have like a series and then they have a break and there's a movie. Well, we wouldn't have wanted mm. the break, but I really like how the X-Files does that serialized, like the series and then a movie and then another brief series and another movie is expected after that. Would have yeah. been nice. That's true. That would have been great. Are you guys happy? That's tomorrow, by the way. Oh, the X-Files, X-Files coming back. back. <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys happy with where the split is? In the movie? Yeah. 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 I don't know where else they would have done it. Yeah, yeah, I think this so much plot before it and there's so much plot after it that it's, it is the logical point. Yeah, there was a, there was discussion that the the split later kind of late into production there was there there was still a lot of talk about where the split should be and of course the films were being done simultaneously so they kind of had time as they were filming to decide on that split. Um one of the probably the the second decision that they had was to split it actually 
when they arrived at Malfoy Manor and Bellatrix said, get Draco, and that would have been the... Nah, that would have worked. I hadn't known that before, but that would have been... I don't think that would have worked. Who? Yeah. No. The the catharsis of of Dobby's death after the the fight, um, and then to have the the cliffhanger of, oh, no, Voldemort's got the other one. Like, we've got serious peril that happens with that twist, that just them being captured isn't quite enough. It's kind of like, Mm -hmm. oh, they've been captured, but it's Harry. He'll get out of it. Whereas, oh, this guy has actually died, and now the evil guy has got the ultimate weapon. What's going to go wrong now? Yeah, Yeah, like, there's Mm -hmm. a very different level of of drama. Well, because before it was, you know, up until this point, Harry's been chased, and now Harry's the one doing the chasing. Yes. This is where it splits into those two. You've got the focus shifting from, we're looking for Horcruxes, to... Are we looking for howls or are we looking for horcruxes? That kind of changes there. Which is although not really in the movie because the howls well, yeah. like who gives a crap. Because the howls really, who cares? Right? They're just awesome and no consequence can possibly come <laughs> they just from them. Show up. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, and and you that, can snap the elder wand. That the other th- and because my the the interesting thing that comes from that split, which I realized as we were prepping for the show, is I was like, shouldn't we read another chapter before we do this? Because Voldemort doesn't get the wand until the end of the next chapter. Yeah. Um, so they moved that around a bit. Um, but I was like, oh, no, that makes sense, because mostly this chapter is Ollivander's yada yadaing about wands. Um, so, but that's that's kind of the, the, the crux of the chapter. But um, I've actually, I'm ne- as much as, as like, I, I see where the split works... Because of the Dobby thing, which, again, as I've said before, doesn't work for me personally. I'm not... And also, the beginning of part two has has always still felt like... Like, that first part where they're going after the Horcrux in Gringotts has always felt like a leftover of part one to me. Like, I'm like, oh, we're still in part one territory. Let's go get another Horcrux. And it's so funny. Oh, like, goblins just died. That's funny. Like, that that part bizarre, feels bizarre bizarrely tonally out of the rest of the movie and almost to me would have worked in part one um with all of the polyjuice potion and the horcrux hunting um it would have been too long of a movie yeah and i think the movie would have been about something different it would have been about something different then yeah and that also is the thing that really kicks is like the catalyst to everything that happens in that movie so i i don't know if they could have put it in part one at the end because everything starts happening after that. That's where, I mean, all the dominoes start going down after that. I guess so. it would have been, like, what I would have liked about that was then the the whole second movie could have just completely been the Battle of Hogwarts. Um, mm. Because it doesn't, to me, and we'll get more on that later, but that doesn't get its fair share to me. Um, I think they would still would have cut out Lupin and Tonks. <laughs> 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 so. <laughs> so, but, so ends... Deathly Hallows, part one, Voldemort has the wand, he shoots shoots it into the air, and that's the last image we're left with. And we've opened the Dumbledore's casket. Uh, <laughs> the, the, Lego, the Lego grave, as people were saying. Jenga blocks. Uh-huh. Ikea. I, I like the Ikea thing. <laughs> so, I guess with that we go into final, kind of final thoughts on Hallows part one. I'm that was a good movie! my favorite movie is behind us now. Oh. I really Aww. forgot how much I loved this film. I've, yeah. I've kind of not watched the Deathly Hallows films for a long time because I'm too, I'm still too sad. Well, they're not the ones that you <laughs> pop in for like a nice afternoon, right? It's like, <laughs> right. 
Not exactly. Not yeah, exactly. but watching it again has made me just remember how much this series means to me, and I'm going to be really sad when we get to the last one. <laughs> Which is soon. We're almost there. Yeah. I kind of want to watch it right now, but we'll wait. Naughty. Yeah, I have similar feelings as Rosie. I haven't watched this or the final one in a long time. So, like, watching them now is like, we're also winding down the chapters of the, of the, the like, Deathly Hallows, the book. Um, it's making me kind of relive this experience of both of those things ending the first time around, which is a lot to think about. Mm-hmm. This one, I have to say, I, I rewatched this one the most, but part two, I barely ever, I probably have seen it twice because I don't want it to end and it makes me too sad. But this <laughs> one I've seen like 15 times. I can rewatch this one over and over again. I like part one. Part one is actually my uh, number three on my list behind prisoner and half blood i'll say again that my my feelings on part one are that um it's a like i said it's it's number three on my list it's done as uh, out of all the potter films i think it's the best mystery as far as a setup it does a really thoughtful setup um and uh it i've said before that it actually feels like a traditional almost masterpiece mystery kind of bbc mystery to me <laughs> Um, it has a lot of those elements, which is why I'm so disappointed by part two, because part two in many ways to me doesn't deliver on the promise of the setup that it does so good on the mystery. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's a very well done film. I think this is the film where Yates finally found his niche and figured out what he wanted to do with these movies. Yeah, I... Four and a half hours to do so. <laughs> yep, he had plenty of time. <laughs> yeah, I sometimes I think I forget how much I, I enjoy these last two. I feel like they hit a peak in a lot of the things they were doing in these movies. And they just, I mean, they're beautifully done. I love the music. It's its a nice ending for everything, especially coming off six, which I don't like. So it was, it, I, yeah, it's a beautiful movie. And I really appreciate it. Deadly Hallows Part 1, yay. Woohoo. <laughs> yay. <laughs> it's a good movie. Very good. <laughs> and thank you to all our guests, which is you guys, the callers, and then the chat for chatting with us all about um, part awesome. one. It was so fun. Sharing yeah. your thoughts and putting up with our love live power shows. outages mm-hmm. from Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> and as we move forward to our regular chapter discussions, if you would like to be on the show as a guest... There are still spots available as we round out the final Deathly Hallow chapters. Just head over to the Be On The Show page at alohamora.mugglenet.com. As long as you have a set of Apple or similar headphones, you're all set. No fancy equipment is needed. And you can keep in touch with us in the meantime at on Twitter at alohamoramn, facebook.com slash openthedumbledore. We're on Tumblr at Podcast. Our Instagram is alohamoramn. Our website, of course, is alohamora.mugglenet.com. And don't forget to download your free ringtone while you're over there. Or send us an owl over on Audioboom. Um, just keep it under 60 seconds and you might hear yourself on the show. And of course, we've got our fantastic store where you can find sweatshirts, long sleeve tees, tote bags, flip-flops, so much more. Um, and also our ringtones that are free and available on our website. You guys were all dancing to our little dance party theme at the beginning. That'll be happening again soon, so stick around for the end. But find our ringtones, which is that theme music there, um, for free on our, on our website. We sell stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so catchy. <laughs> also make sure to check out our smartphone app. 
It is free to download. Just search Podcast Source in your phone's app store. Well, that's going to do it for this weekend's live episode. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us. I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Michael Harley. I'm Allison Sigurd. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Rosie Morris. I'm Kristen Keyes. And I'm Kat Miller. Thank you for listening to episode 174 of Alohomora. Open the new Dumbledore. Sorry about that. Live show. Technical difficulties, you know, sometimes that stuff happens. Dora Nympha said in the chat that Voldemort crashed into the electrical towers. That's what <laughs> no, that's definitely what it Took was. down the towers. Yeah. Whoopsie daisy. <laughs> <laughs>